Welcome today to Carefully Examining the Text. I'm Tommy Peeler, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 17. Psalm 17, in verses 1 and 2, the writer begs God to hear his prayer. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. In this text, you see the writer begging God to hear his prayer. Apparently, he has been falsely accused by wicked men. He will describe these wicked later in this psalm. He is innocent, as he is about to express, and he is begging God to vindicate him. He's begging God to give him justice. So verses 1 and 2 are a call to God to hear his prayer. In verses 3 through 5, he stresses how the Lord has examined him and tried him. In verse 3, you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man by the hand, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the way of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. So the text emphasizes that God has thoroughly examined David. God has thoroughly examined his heart and has visited him. There is a limit to what human judges can see. But the Lord alone tries our hearts in 1 Kings 8 and verse 39. And David knows that he has been innocent. This psalm is much like Psalm 7 and that the writer had been falsely accused, and he is affirming his innocence. Now, if you tend to think that the psalmist is going too far and uttering boast that he shouldn't boast, remember what the Lord himself said about Job in Job 1 verse 1, in Job 1 verse 8, in Job 2 and verse 3, that he was perfect, he's blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. The psalmist is claiming such for himself in Psalm 17. God has examined him and tried him. I want you to notice the references that you see to mouth, lips, and speech in these verses. In verse 1, the psalmist affirms that his prayer is not from deceitful lips. And he has purposed, in verse 3, that he will not transgress with his mouth. But in verse 4, it is because of the words of God's mouth that, he has able, that he's been able to keep pure from the path of violent men. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 11 says... And the psalmist is affirming the same kind of thing. By the word of your mouth, I have kept from the path of the violent. There are three times 
in this psalm that David uses the personal pronoun in Hebrew. Now, generally, the person who is acting is inherent within the Hebrew verb. When there is a separate personal pronoun, that means great stress is put upon that pronoun. Verse 4 is one of these three instances. I have kept from the path of the violent. He has walked in God's way. He has done God's will. He has listened to God's word. He has followed God's path. And he said, my feet have not slipped. Now, verse 5, my feet have not slipped, is also an important connection back with Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, in verse 8, David affirmed, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken in 16.8. And here in 17, in verse 5, his feet have not slipped. It's the same two words in Hebrew as used in 16, verse 8. So verses 1 and 2 are a cry for God to hear his prayer. Verses 3 through 5 are a statement that the Lord has examined him and found him innocent. In verses 6 through 8, there is a plea that God protect him and guard him and keep him. In verse 6, I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. By the way, here is the second use of the Hebrew personal pronoun I. Just as he has kept his feet from the path of the violent, in verse 4, I have called upon you, in verse 6. David affirms that he has called upon God. He looks to him in the midst of trouble and is begging for God to act. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech, verse 6 says. Now remember the emphasis on speech and lips. Here it is continued. He begs God to hear his prayer, to listen to the speech of his lips. In verse 7, wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked, excuse me, We'll, we'll stop at verse 8 here right now. But verses 7 and 8 wondrously show your loving kindness to those who take refuge at your right hand. Psalm 16, 1 talked about in you I have taken refuge, O Lord. And here in seventeen seven, he talks about God as Savior of those who take refuge. Psalm 16:11 told us that in God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 16:11 and in 17:17 17, 17, God's right hand provides a refuge. A refuge from all who would rise against David, who would oppress and persecute him. In verse 8, he calls upon God, "Keep me" as the apple of your eye. The word keep in verse 8 
is the same word from the same Hebrew word kept in verse 4. In verse 4, he had kept himself from the way of the violent, and he had kept God's word, and now he is begging God to do the same for him. Keep me, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Both of these images of God's protection, the apple of our eye, the pupil of our eye, is something we're generally very sensitive about. And this phrase is often used to describe God's care and God's protection of those who are His. Zechariah 2 verse 8 uses this expression. Deuteronomy 32 verse 10 uses that expression. The text emphasizes, keep me as the apple of your eye, and it also stresses, hide me in the shadow of your wings. The Lord is pictured as a, a, a mother hen protecting her chicks beneath her wings, sheltering them and shielding them from harm. Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 uses that expression. I don't know if you called it. But both of these expressions, the end of verse 8 that we've just emphasized, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings, both appear in Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 and 11. Deuteronomy 32 shows us God's gracious care for the nation of Israel and God's gracious care for the nation of Israel David begs to be shown to him as an individual. In verses 9 through 12, David describes his enemies, the violent people who rise against him and who use their mouths to destroy him. In verse 9, from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear as a young lion lurking in the hiding places. So this is a description of the enemies of the psalmist. They are encircling him. And you even notice in verse 11, he uses a first person plural pronoun, us. They are encircling us. Apparently, David represents the whole company of the righteous. And notice in verse 10, it says, with their mouth, they speak proudly. We have seen the emphasis on the lips, the mouth, the speech in verse 1, in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 6. All of this was either talking about the speech of God as verse 4 or the speech of the psalmist as in verse 1, 3, and 6. But here you see it is the enemy's speech. And while David's lips are free of deceit, in this text, the Bible tells us that the enemy is using his mouth to destroy. With their mouth, they speak 
proudly. It is also striking in this psalm to see the use of metaphors of the body. And what I mean by that, while the psalmist does not speak with deceitful lips, here we see his enemies are speaking with proud lips. While the psalmist, David, has a heart that can stand up to God's searching gaze in verses 3 through 5, here the hearts of his enemies are fat in verse 10. And here, uh, while David's feet have uh, not slipped, their eyes are anxious to cast any opponents to the ground. And the Bible calls upon God in verses 13 through 15 to bring down these who are wicked. In verse 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. Now the word arise that is used there in verse 13 is a word that was also used, the the root word was used in verse 7, where David asked the Lord to be a refuge, a refuge to those who rise up against them. The enemies were rising against them in verse 7, but he calls upon God to arise to his defense. In verse 13, God's actions are a response to the actions of the wicked. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. From men with your hand, O Lord, from men of this world whose portion is in this life. Do you remember that in Psalm 16, David affirmed, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup in Psalm 16, verse 5. But now in Psalm 617, in verse 14, he talks about wicked men whose portion is in this life. David's portion is God. The wicked's portion is this life and this world. And the Bible tells us, whose belly you fill with your treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babies. But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. So verses 14 and 15, they're making a contrast between the wicked and and the righteous, but it is a little difficult to determine where that contrast begins. Where, where does it exactly begin? Obviously, the first of vor- vor- verse 14 describes the wicked, and verse 15 describes the righteous, but how about that section in between? Translations differ as to how it should be translated. We're not going to go into detail with that right now, but uh, but we are going to emphasize that in verse 15, David used the personal pronoun I for a third time. He used it in verse 4 and verse 6 
and he uses it in verse 15. And while in verse 15 he is talking about what he is looking for, in verse 14 the wicked find their satisfaction in their children. But David finds his satisfaction when he awakes with God's likeness. Same word used in verse 14 and verse 15. And verse 1 called upon God to hear a just cause. The word just is used in verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Same root word used in the original language. The point this psalm begins with an emphasis on his righteousness, David's righteousness, and it ends with the fact that in righteousness he shall behold God's face, and he will be satisfied with this. But notice what the psalm says about David's enemies. His enemies rise against him in verse 7. In verses 9 through 12, they are wicked people who surround him and surround the righteous, who have callous hearts, who hope to destroy. They are like lions eager to rip and tear and to destroy. David, in contrast to his enemies, does not have deceitful lips. He has sought to keep God's way. He has sought to do what is in what is pleasing in God's sight. He's purposed that he will not transgress with his mouth, and his feet haven't slipped. We see these things in the first five verses. He is longing to be satisfied with God's likeness in verse 15. What does the psalm say about David's enemies? What does the psalm say about David? And most importantly, what does the psalm say about God? The psalm emphasizes that the Lord is the one who tries our hearts in verse 3. He tries our heart. He examines our motive. He knows our every action and every thought. God knows this. In verse 7, God is the Savior of all those who take refuge at His right hand. In verse 8, He protects and hides His people. And in verse 13, He rises up in judgment against those who are wicked. What does the psalm say about God? And how does the psalm foreshadow Jesus? How does it foreshadow Jesus? David affirms that his prayer is not from deceitful lips and that he has made up his mind that he will not transgress with his lips. Jesus as the ultimate innocent sufferer in 1 Peter chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 Peter 2 verses 21 through 23 did not sin nor was any guile found in his mouth. There was no deceit in the lips of Christ. But it's interesting too to notice some contrast between this prayer and Jesus as the innocent sufferer. In verse 13, the Bible calls upon the Lord to confront his enemies. 
to deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. Lord, use your sword to defend me against my foes. But when some of the disciples of Jesus took up their sword to defend him, Jesus said, put up your sword. Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus gave himself to death. And while David was pleading with God, keep me safe from the crisis in verse 8, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And he gave himself to crowds that wanted to destroy him. Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate innocent sufferer. There were no enemies, more evil, more violent. There were no enemies that fit the description of verse 12 as lions ready to devour more than Jesus' enemies. And when verse 7 calls upon God to wondrously show his loving kindness, how could that be better demonstrated than the cross? And in verse 1, as the psalmist calls upon God to hear his cry, to give heed to his cry, to justify him, to vindicate him in verses 1 and 2, what act of vindication of an innocent sufferer was stronger and clearer than the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you and may the Lord bless you.